0: Uh, This morning, our scripture passage is going to be Romans 11, uh, 33 through 36. You can find that on page 947 of your pew Bible. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Kind of hard to follow that one up with a, a prayer of thanksgiving right there, but please bow your heads and pray with me. Dear God. We do thank you that you are the most glorious, that you are due all the glory, that we are due none of it, Father. That from you and through you and to you are all things due, Father. That our every breath is because you say so, Father. We just thank you for that. We thank you for being that God, Father. We we ask that you be with Pastor Cody as he comes up and and, and delivers your word, Father. We ask that you be with each and every one of us. That you would uh, open our minds and our hearts and allow us to to learn your word, Father truly how you want it to be taught, Father. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Five Sundays in October. Five solas of the Protestant Reformation. Reformation, Five pillars of the Protestant faith. We come now this morning to the final of those five solas to the glory of God alone. Think with me this morning about when you woke up. Now I imagine Within some short period of time of every one of us waking up this morning, we found ourselves looking into the mirror. And imagine if you were looking into the mirror this morning, instead of looking uh, at yourself, you looked into the mirror instead of maybe some dribby eyes and some messed up hair, you saw your hair already all completely done, and maybe a little less gray on the side, maybe the biceps a little bigger, maybe a little slimmer or a little more or a little less wherever you would like it, and you're thinking, that's looking pretty good for getting right out of bed this morning. And it's an absurd picture, because mirrors don't do that. Mirrors exist to do one thing. They don't create pictures. They merely reflect that which is in front of them. Or imagine if you got up in one morning and you flipped on the light in your bathroom, and instead of a mirror, what flashed was an x-ray machine, and all you saw was the bones and the skeleton of your system. Mirrors only reflect that which is actually in front of them. They're mere witnesses to what is in front of them. When we speak of the glory of God alone, we come to a realization that we as Christians, as people, as the human race, exist to be witnesses, to be mere reflections of the glory of God to all the world that is around us. Deo gloria means... To God alone be the glory. And the Bible, Scripture alone, stands witness to this. The Bible that you hold on your lap, from Genesis to Revelation, from David and Goliath to Jonah, from the Garden to the Red Sea, whether it's Psalms, Proverbs, or Revelation, whatever part of Scripture, whatever part of grace, whatever part of faith, or in Christ, all of it exists to the glory Of God. Alone. James Montgomery Boyce. The Presbyterian preacher. Has said this. Glory was God's. In the beginning. Is God's now. And shall be God's. Forever. Martin Luther. On the number 62. Of his 95 theses. Posted on Tuesday, 500 years from now, said the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. In fact, we could say that the entire summation of what we have studied in the last four weeks, scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone, could be summed up in solo Deo Gloria. In fact, The idea is all throughout Scripture that many of the the doxologies that we'll even look at this morning in Romans 11 are expressions of of worship and praise that have followed tremendous teaching on the great doctrines of faith and grace and Christ. Paul here in Romans 11 even is going to uh, conclude a section of Romans 11 chapters with what we'll look at here in a few minutes. Our benediction this morning from Jude 24 and 25 is also another one of those places. Jude has just spent 23 verses expounding on the keeping and holding power of God for us as Christians. And then concludes with his wonderful doxology. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 After 13 chapters, the writer of Hebrews has made much of the supremacy and worth of Christ and concludes that section with this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever Amen. And we find ourselves in Romans 33 through 36 of chapter 11, and it is the exact same thing. Paul has articulated over 11 chapters, he has described and argued for the glory of God and the redemption of sinners. He's made much of the wonder of God in his plan of salvation. Throughout history, to bring salvation to fallen man, to save sinners through his son Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith. And it's interesting, you, you would think of, uh, Paul, maybe, having written this letter, and it's almost as if, okay, now, chapter 12. Uh, now on to the next subject. He just sort of would, you would think he would just say, well, I've expounded on all these things, I'll just move on. And that's not what he does at all. It's just almost as if he's overcome with such awe and wonder at the majesty of what he has just articulated for 11 chapters that he has to pause. And he has to put down his thoughts in ways that it's almost as if Paul is saying, I can't quite get all the glory into the human language, but I'm going to give my best shot at it. And he describes for us, the glory of God. Let me read the passage again. It's already been read for us, but read it again and then let's comment a few things, a few comments on it. First of all, notice verse 33. Oh, the depth. Paul, you've just made a great understatement. Oh, the depth. There, there is no depth that can be deep enough to describe God. There, there is no comparison to This depth, you can go deep, like through the entire earth and keep going and that depth cannot be confined or even described. And notice that depth is of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Those are three words, riches, wisdom and knowledge, but how do you somehow summarize all of God? And Paul's almost as if saying, "Here's three. There's so much more, but the the unfathomable, unsearchable, indescribable magnitude of God. And notice that that depth, that indescribable nature of the glory of God, is seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what he's just spent eleven chapters articulating." So he says, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable meaning impossible to understand. And yet all of this God has sent his son to condescend to sinners who are dead in our sin. And, and it's a picture. But even then, it's an impossible picture. We can view it, but we can't ever quite see the depth of it. And so he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? These first two verses in Romans 11, 33 and 34 here, is Paul doing his his best to basically say, God is unlike us. Who can think like him? No one. Who can know him? No one. Who can describe him? No one. How can... Someone understand Him. No one. And yet, and yet we can know Him enough to be saved because He knows us first. We can love Him because He first loved us. 35 or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. So here Paul has set up God as all knowing, as all powerful, as completely in control, as undescribable, and then he just makes the common statement. What do you get a dad who's got everything for Christmas or the birthday? What do you get someone who's all of this? How can anyone possibly contribute to God? Is what Paul is saying. How could you in any way be giving yourself to God? How could you offer yourself to God enough that he would want to save you? How could you say, you've got a gift in me? No. Not at all. He doesn't need anything. He has everything. How could we give him something that he would then have to sort of repay that. And say well you gave me you. And so I'm going to give you love. Paul's making the argument. You didn't give him anything. He owes you nothing. And yet. Though he owes you nothing. Though you deserve nothing. He gives all things. In Christ. 36. For. For from Him, we'll look at that, and through Him, we'll see that, and to Him are all things. You could summarize all of the Protestant Reformation in verse 36 alone. Why? Well, for from Him, meaning grace to be saved through faith comes from Him. And through Him so, by grace, you are saved through faith, through Christ, through Him. And then it's all to be done to Him. And the Scripture alone bears the authority to tell us this. Everything comes from God. And therefore, everything is to be ascribed to God. There is nothing that we can claim that is ours and therefore everything that we have has been given, it is merely to be an extension of praise to Him. To Him, it says, be glory forever. Amen. So if this God is everything Paul says He is, and the Scriptures bear witness to, and and we there's nothing that we can do, and He gives everything to us to be saved, and we'll see actually gives us glory as well? Unfathomable? If that's the case, then he's the only one who should get any glory, period. Now, Paul has spent 11 chapters making this case. So I want you to turn with me back to the beginning of his logic, all the way to Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 18. Let me read this for us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Why? Why is God's wrath revealed from heaven? And to whom is it revealed? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of, and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul is describing every person pre-Christ And Paul is actually stating that the wrath of God is 100% for the sinner outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 22, claiming to be wise, us claiming to be wise, we were fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals and reptiles. Why is God's wrath upon the unbeliever? Why was God's wrath upon us prior to his saving grace? And it's precisely become because from our birth, our one entire rebellious aim is to rob God of his glory. That's exactly what's happening here. We're exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. And it's simply what we're doing when we set up idols in our sin is to saying, we're more important. We want those idols to make us happy. Our sin is entirely set upon stealing from God his glory. And we do this even today in many creative and diabolical ways. We take credit for our successes We believe our ways are better than His ways. We credit something good in us for His love for us. We look to families and jobs and friends and pleasures and enjoyments to define our worth, not God. And yet Isaiah 42 verse 8, we're told that I am the Lord. God is the Lord and that is His name. And my glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48 verse 11. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God's wrath is upon the unbeliever precisely because His glory is of such a wonder and is so deserved entirely by, by Him that He must destroy anyone who would steal His glory. That's what He says. I will give my glory to no other. He is jealous for his glory because he alone deserves it. And yet, he doesn't destroy us. He holds back that wrath in kindness to us. He, he keeps giving us, even in our sin. Grace, even the unbeliever today who hates God, God gives grace to in not destroying him and providing opportunity for him to repent. And even for us today as believers in Jesus Christ, who even this week have in some way tried to steal the glory of God, he has not removed his love and delight in us one iota, one iota. Small bit. Because Christ. Is the preeminence. Of that glory. And when Christ. Has been given to us. In saving faith. Then his. Glory. Has been granted. To us. I'm not sure you're. Standing before the Lord. This morning. But I want you to hear clearly. That if you're. Standing before him. Is unsaved. That you have not accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And repented of your sins. That God's wrath for eternity is set upon you. And that his wrath is only removed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That your sin before this holy God of all glory demands that you die. For eternity. There is is no amount of perfection in you that can achieve the perfection that is required to stand before all perfection that is God. And yet Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, came to this earth, lived, died, was buried, and rose from the grave to accomplish what we could not. And that is the ability to have a right standing before God. He credited, God credits the righteousness of Christ to you and gives you the eternal blessing of sons and daughters of the heavenly kingdom if you will but come to God in saving faith. Is your desire to be saved this morning? Then I trust that by God's grace you will go to Christ. You will plead that He have mercy on you. You will trust in His grace alone. I'm after, I would be delighted, and anyone in here probably would be delighted to speak to you about that this morning. Don't leave if you're unsure of where you stand before God for eternity. In fact, this morning, if you're unsaved, everything I've said up to this point about the glory of God probably sounds absolutely ridiculous to you. What do you mean I'm not that important? What do you mean I don't don't get to have Some accolades for something I've done. What do you mean something I can't see, touch and feel is going to get all the glory and I get none of it? What do you mean I can't save myself? Well, I trust that the Bible and God's word will help you understand that actually, though that may sound ridiculous, it's the best news in the world. That the God of all glory would save you for his glory only God alone is perfect. His word alone is perfect. God alone is holy. God alone is good. God alone has all control. God alone is perfectly just. God alone is, God, is love. God alone is merciful. And therefore, if there's any trait at all in its smallest dimension that we have that looks like love or mercy or holiness it's a mere reflection of his glory up, upon us charles hodge says this the leading principle principle of all the leading principle of all is that god is the source of all good that in fallen man there is neither merit nor ability that salvation consequently is all of grace As well as satisfaction as is pardon. As well election as is eternal glory. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, any salvation. Anything at all that looks slightly good upon these sinful bones. Is simply a witness to the glory of God. So what do we do? How do we reflect the glory of God? Well... First of all, do we acknowledge our sin? Do we view our sin the way God views our sin? The first of the 95 theses that Martin Luther nailed on the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany says this: When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, "Repent," Matthew 4:17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Does repentance mark your life on a daily basis? Repentance, in many ways, is agreeing with the perfection of God that sin is not. We're agreeing with how God views our sin. That it is deadly. That it is rebellion. That it is wrong. And that it brings no pleasure. That it brings no hope. That it brings no goodness to our life. That it is a lie. So does your life, is your life marked by the fruit of repentance? Second of all, how do we reflect the glory of God? Not only in our daily repentance, but also in who we ascribe worth. That is what worship means, to ascribe worth. So 1 Corinthians 1031, we're told, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or we could say, do all, all, do everything to ascribe worth to God. All of the solas, in a sense, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, strip us of any boasting that we have and leave us only with an eternal supply of truth for eternal worship of God alone. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That's essentially what we've been talking about the past, past four weeks. Is if We've just been looking at how Scripture declares with authority that there is nothing at all, entirely, that we have in our own selves that would be pleasing to God. And yet God grants to us everything that He needs to be pleased with us. That is Jesus Christ. And so therefore, the entirety of Scripture, whether it's Scripture alone, or faith alone, or Christ alone, or grace alone, or any other doctrine of Scripture, when viewed by someone who has been born again by the power of God, it does not lead us to some academic knowledge, or some theological prowess, but actually leads us to humility. It leads us to great delights of worship. That's exactly what Paul has done here in Romans and Romans eleven. He's not ended with, "Well, now that we know that, let's move along. We now have a doctorate in theology." No, he leads with he leaves with worship. Oh, to the glory of God alone. His entire existence, then and ours as well, is to magnify Him as the only one worthy of all praise and adoration, worship. And love. But that still leaves the question. Isn't there anything I can do to give God glory? You've just told me it stripped me of everything. In fact, out of all of the doctrines of the Reformation that seem to be against works in the Protestant faith for justification, you would assume that sola Deo Gloria is the final nail in the coffin of works and that is entirely incorrect in fact solo deo gloria is the lifeblood of works it's the springboard for works so whether it's the work or school place or home or marriage or hobbies or music the fact That God does all things for His glory and has saved us by His grace. Provides us the ability and the desire and the impetus and the energy to do all things for His glory. We don't then want to live for ourselves if we're not the one who saved ourselves. Therefore we want to live for Him and that's going to be evident in our works. Michael Horton, professor Westminster Seminary, says this. Although we can't give God anything that would improve his lot or make him indebted to us, God has given us everything necessary for life and salvation. And therefore we no longer serve God as debtors, but glorify God as witnesses. Witnesses are not the main story. They only report it. They give public testimony to what they've seen and heard. The mirror doesn't make the image, but only reflects us. It tells the truth, but doesn't create it. So that is what it means to belong to the great cast of characters or cloud of witnesses. God does not need our good works. But notice what he says, but our neighbors do. God glorifies himself chiefly in salvation, chiefly in the cross and resurrection of our Lord. But then goes to glorify himself as the giver of all good gifts to us and then through us to our neighbors. Close quote. We want people to see the glory of God and salvation. He doesn't need a bit of our works. But your neighbor does. Your neighbor needs to see the love of Jesus Christ exemplified in how you love them. Your enemy needs to see the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and how you forgive them. Your husband, your wife, needs to see the immense kindness of Jesus Christ to us in saving us for sin, and how we treat them with kindness. No, God does not need your good works. But He delights and has prepared for you good works that give Him glory as it exemplifies to your neighbor, to your enemy, to your family, to your friend. So, solo deo gloria, to the glory of God alone, should be and is the veritable motto of the Reformation and should be the motto of your life as well. The core of the Reformation is less a doctrinal dispute and much more a worship dispute. Who's going to get worship? God or man? Our very existence, wherever we are or with whomever we are or if no one is around us should be for His glory and His glory alone. Now, if that's not enough, if the glory of God to save us from our sin is not enough to fuel our good works for his glory to others. Then I only have one final bullet in the gun. Let's go to the book of Jude. Let's go to Jude 24 and 25. This is our, doc, our, our benediction this morning and I will read it as a benediction. But before we close our service in song. And before I read it as a benediction. I want you to note something. And it pertains to the glory of God. And it is unfathomable. Jude 24 and 25. Hope you're looking at it. Now to him who is able to keep you. So he keeps us from stumbling. And he presents us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. What I want you to see is in verse 24. The God of all power, who keeps us, who saves us, who will present us before his glory. With great joy. All of God's work. For unable sinners. Is for his glory alone. And that is to such an extent. That it ultimately culminates in us. Receiving glorification. Complete stop here. We don't deserve salvation. But God has saved us. We don't deserve any glory and yet He's going to glorify us. I don't know what else there is that could possibly move a sinner to wanting to live for the entirety of the glory of God alone if He's going to glorify you when there's nothing in you that deserves glory. Why? For His glory alone for all eternity. He's going to give you glory because there's nothing in you that's glorifying so that He can give Get glory for all eternity. You're just, you're just a bystander in this. And yet he brings you in as a participant and says, I want you to be a part of this. And there's nothing there in us that makes us a part of this. And yet he, in his love, draws us and says, You get to be part of this. You get to be blessed for eternity. You get a brand new body. You get to be glorified my glory alone brothers and sisters I pray that that pierces our hearts and that we live this week for his glory alone that we do good works not for our glory not that others would look to us but that others might see the wonder of the person and work of Jesus Christ that has been given to us freely by his grace through faith let's pray oh father forgive us And yet, oh, Father, what love that has been given to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, you've given us breath today. You've given me a voice. You've given us voices to sing, to pray. And Father, we recognize by your grace that we deserve none of that and we want to use it for your glory as we so rarely do and we plead for mercy that you would help us. Help us to speak to one another. Help us to act. Help us to guard our eyes, our thoughts. Help us to die to self more faithfully this week because of your faithfulness to us. Father, nothing we do this week is going to in one slight bit earn any more or less of your love. But this world desperately needs to see the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we desire to do those good works you prepared beforehand that the world might know that we might be visible witnesses, simply reporting the truth of what has been done for us. May we be accurate mirrors, accurate reflections. Father, if we've if we've allowed that mirror to be smudged by unrepentant sin, we pray that you would give us the grace to recognize that as you see it. Repent, walk in that repentance. And trust, Father, that you delight to gain glory and will even clear that mirror because of the work of Christ already done for us. We give you all the glory and praise and honor due into your name. And yet that's not enough. We desire to do our best to give that to you. We're going to sing now, Father. And even that's not enough. Eternity isn't long enough. But we want to do our very best by your grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.